Well, y'all calm down quickly. Good morning. My name is Tony Anderson. I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Christian Family Chapel. And we want to welcome you, particularly if you're a visitor or first-time guest. Hopefully by now you've met someone new. But we would also like to get to know you better and also get information in your hands if you have any questions about our church. And one of the ways we do that is with these Connect cards, which are in the seat backs in front of you. If you're visiting, if you would be willing to just fill out some information on that card, as much as you're comfortable with, and drop it in the basket on the way out, you could also check what areas of ministry you would like questions, um, you have questions about, and one of our staff would be happy to get back in touch with you. Also, uh, we uh, consider it a privilege to pray for you, and so on the back of those cards, there's a place for prayer requests. If you would fill that out as well, drop it in the, in the baskets. We have men and women who consider it a privilege to pray for you each and every week. Also, if you're a guest, we'd love to have, spend some time talking to you. So we have a guest reception in the table, which is our coffee shop, which if you're in north, it's out the back and on the other side of the A building. If you're over there in south right now, just turn left. You're looking at it. That's where we'll be happy to meet you there as well. And I want to just let all of you know that in the uh, table every week, uh, the Hope Center bookstore is set up, and that is where you can find trusted resources that you might be able to use to help someone through a difficult time. Those are the resources that we use in our counseling ministry. And one of the ways I suggest you could use that, for example, is we have little short pamphlets like this one's on grief, finding hope again. So one of the things you might do is buy two. Give one to a friend or a family member and say, let's read it together and then get together and discuss it, maybe at the table for a cup of coffee during the week. And it's also a good way to start gospel conversation in case your friend or family member uh, does not yet know the Lord. Well, you guys are in for a blessing today. On Thursday, I got to be there for the opening night of the Jonathan Monk World Tour as he preached in our Thursday night uh, service over in the shop. He had home court advantage then because that was his domain. In case you don't know, we have a great Thursday night service. If weekends are busy, we'd love to have you over there in the shop at 7 o'clock. But it has been a world tour. First hour, he's in South. Second hour, he was back here. So this is his encore presentation. Uh, And so I can tell you, though, I've heard it. Jonathan is an excellent Bible teacher, and you will leave challenged. So let's welcome Jonathan. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, So I'm Jonathan Monk. It's an honor to to be able to teach in the main service. Uh, My journey at at CFC um, began probably about eight years ago. I interned, not about, exactly eight years ago. uh, Interned with Bill Winton, our middle school pastor, and it just, it changed my life. I I left that summer and just having some conversations with Bill years ago, just going kind of as a joke, but if I could ever be on staff at this church, wow, what a dream that would be. And so eight years later, seven years later, whatever, just being able to, to work here is a real honor. I love, um, love working with our high school students. Um, the other day we had a beach day and we got rained out, um, but we didn't care because we still had fun. So I drove back from the beach. There was one guy in the van and then a bunch of girls and we sang I don't even know what songs we sang. It was funny, um, but it was a good time just to enjoy uh, time with students. But uh, so I've been working with students for a little while. Um, before coming here, I was a teacher. Some of you may know this, but I was a teacher in North Carolina at a public school, uh, and that was a pretty awesome job. Um, and then years before that, I had a pretty interesting job. I um, sold timeshare at a resort in Orlando. So I was, I was that guy, if you're familiar uh, with, yeah, I think you are. All right, that's cool. So 90-minute presentations, you give me your time, and then in exchange, you would get um, tickets to Disney or a dinner show or some getaway or something like that. Um, but hopefully you would buy. And so I, uh, like Thursday night, it was kind of funny. A guy came up to me, and he had bought five weeks of timeshare. So I was kind of going to make a joke like, oh, I'll sell you a sixth week or whatever. Um, but he was, it, it was fun to, to, to catch up and share timeshare stories. But anyway, so started that job. I was about 20 years old, uh, and this resort was right next to, um, to Universal. And uh, I was told up front that if you don't sell, like, you won't last. Like, they'll fire you. And uh, I didn't think that would really happen, but I got off to a good start, and I sold, like, on one afternoon, I sold two condos. And um, thought, man, I'm going to be, like, 
successful. I remember uh, later that day being greeted by my sales manager with high fives and just thought like, I'm going to kill it here. Went and bought a brand new pair of shoes at the Millennial Mall for like $100 and never spent that much money on shoes. And, and I left that day in my 94 Honda Civic, which had no AC, just just thinking, reflecting on my day, like, man, I am content. I am satisfied. Like, this is a, this is a good life. And then the next day, went into work to, to, to confident that I would sell more timeshare, but that never happened. And then um, over the next month, I didn't really sell anything. And so eventually this resort let me go and I was pretty, pretty disappointed. But I, I just want to tell you that story because my, as I look back, there was a problem in that my contentment was based on my circumstance, right? It was circumstantial whether I sold or not. But what I didn't know at that point and what I know now is that I can have contentment or I can have satisfaction regardless of my circumstance. And I think we know that to be true in this room as well. And we know that because that's what we see as we turn to the Bible, we read, and that's what Paul believed. In fact, Paul argues that you can have contentment despite your circumstance. And Paul also says that he knows the secret to contentment. So I want to show you those verses in just a little bit. But first, I want us to stand up as Doug's been leading us to say uh, this part about God's word. So if you recognize this, let's go ahead and stand, stand and say this together. Which, by the way, I, I love this because it emphasizes, I think, who we are as a church and so one of the things that I've loved about this church is we're a Bible teaching church from children's ministry, middle school ministry, high school ministry, all the way through. We elevate scripture. And I think this is a kind of a, a demonstration of that. So let's go ahead and, and say this together. I'll try not to say it too fast. All right, here we go. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more and fill in the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. Would you remain standing for just a second as I, as I pray for us? Father, we need you on this Sunday morning. Grateful that... Um, we can gather together and be encouraged by opening up your word. And we do believe that this is, this is God breathed. This is your word. It's your heart revealed. We can't understand the scriptures without you. Would you take these really familiar verses and would you help us understand them? I pray that we would not maybe just hear things we've, um, but we would be reminded of things that we would never forget. Would you speak through me? Pray that you would encourage the body this morning. Remind us of who you are. Remind us that our sufficiency is in you and not in ourselves. We need you. And we now look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So we've been in this series, if you haven't been maybe here in a little while and you're back, but um, we've been in this series called Excel Still More. And what letter has Doug been teaching from? First Thessalonians. All right, that's good. Well, we're not going to be in First Thessalonians today. We're going to move outside of First Thessalonians to Philippians 4, but same uh, topic uh, as far as excelling, but we're going to be looking at a, a particular topic of excelling in contentment. Yeah, so not from First Thessalonians 4. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians 4. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV. So if you want to turn there, we'll look at a few verses here in, in just a second. I'll read 10 and 11, and then eventually we'll read, we'll read 12 and 13, but let's start here. Here we go. This is what Paul says. So again, Paul's arguing that he knows, he knows the content life. Here's what he says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Just let those words sink in. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's a pretty bold, bold statement. Paul's saying, and if you think about it, probably one of the greatest statements about contentment in the Bible, that Paul had come to this place where he was content regardless of his, of his circumstances. And I think his words carry a lot of weight because as if you know anything about Paul, he suffered a lot. 
We know that through the book of Acts. In 2 Corinthians 11, he writes a little bit about his sufferings. Listen to what he says. He said that he faced countless beatings almost to death. He was shipwrecked. He faced danger, sleepless nights, no food or water. And yet in all those things, Paul was content. And before we go any further, I just want to get us to think about this question. When I say contentment, what comes to your mind? Like if you had to give a piece, all right? If, I, if you had to give me a scene that says contentment, what would that scene be? I know for me, when I interned for Bill eight years ago, I had the privilege of being hosted by a family here from, from CFC. Uh, and this family to this day probably make the best steak I've ever had in my life. Like it was awesome. And it still is. Like, and so remember sitting on the table, they made me steak, had um, a baked potato and sweet tea, probably the best sweet tea I've had other than Chick-fil-A. I love the sweet tea at, at Chick-fil-A. And I remember uh, sitting at their table and, and being new and kind of, you know, not knowing them well, but just enjoying great conversations around the table. And then looking out over their pool, past the dock, onto the view that they have. This, this family's view is incredible. It's, it's awesome. Just a great view of the St. John's River. And I remember thinking in that moment, and I was on break from, from school uh, for the summer, so I didn't have any college papers to write or to read or anything like that. And I remember thinking, I am content. Like, I'm satisfied. This is good. Like, I could just sit here for a while and look at this view. So if you had to give me a scene that says contentment, what would that scene be? I know that I've asked some of our students in our high school ministry, uh, they've often said that they're, they're content when they're in the mountains, like when we go on our retreats. Or maybe it's being at the beach. Well, I want to... It's kind of a little different here, but I want to show you a scene that said contentment for Paul. And it's in Acts 16. So if you want to turn to the left in your Bibles, go to Acts 16. A scene that said contentment for Paul. He's on his missionary journey in a place called Philippi. He shares the gospel. There's a girl named Lydia, first convert in Philippi. And yet people think that Paul and Silas are disrupting the city. So look at what happens. They had inflicted the many blows upon them. And then where are they put? In jail. And yet that's a scene that said contentment for Paul. How do we know that? Because look at verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And that's a scene that says contentment for Paul. And so when, as I read that, I'm like, how are you singing and praying in a circumstance like that? He had learned to be content. What he would later write in Philippians 4. And what I just want to show us, what I think is so significant here, is that when a person learns contentment, there's a great outcome. Prisoners were listening. People saw the joy that Paul had. We know that where there was no church in Philippi, eventually there would be a church in Philippi that was established. When Paul learned contentment, the outcome was this. And I want you to catch this. The outcome was that God got the glory. Paul gets the joy. And eventually an unbeliever would come to believe in, in Jesus. So there's a great outcome to contentment. And just think about what the outcome could be in your own life. That as we learn contentment, God gets the glory. We get the joy. And unbelievers get a chance to op get an opportunity to hear the gospel and then Lord willing, believe in the gospel. So there's a great value in contentment. It's not just about me, but it's others are impacted by it. And we see that from the life of Paul. And so if you go back to Philippians 4, I want to highlight three truths that we learn from Paul. So if you're an outline person, if that kind of helps you to, to know where we're going, we'll, we'll write down three truths. And I think the first truth is seen in verses 10 and 11, but we'll look at verse 11 first. Here we go. I know we read it a second ago, but Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So the first truth is this. For Paul, his contentment is not dependent on his circumstances, or to apply that to us, that our contentment was not or is not dependent on our circumstance. We'll see what it is, but I think it's helpful to know what it's not first. Now, Paul writes this four-chapter letter from jail, the letter of the Philippians. And he writes it, right, 10 years after the event in Acts 16 that we just looked at. And he writes this letter, and if any of you, you're, you're familiar with Philippians, and maybe if, if you haven't read in a while, I'd highly encourage you to go read it this afternoon. It's, it's, it will satisfy you. It's such a good letter. But in this letter, Paul emphasizes again and again that you can have joy in Jesus regardless of your circumstance. Because Paul knew that you're going to be in places that you don't want to be in. But regardless, you can have joy in Jesus despite your circumstance. 
And so he says, rejoice in the Lord again and again. And I don't know about you, but if I was in jail and I wrote a letter to the elders here at Christian Family Chapel and maybe like Tony or Doug read the letter out loud, my letter would not be four chapters long, but it would be like four or five words. Get me out of here. And I would be complaining and I would not want to be in a circumstance like that. But for Paul, he is content. And he's not asking for help. He's simply saying to these believers in Philippi, he's expressing gratitude. He's saying, thank you. You guys have supported me financially and I'm grateful for that. And when you read verse 10 quickly, he said, like, especially the beginning, if you read it quickly, it sounds like Paul is content because the money finally came. Like they supported him financially. Because he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. I had a need and you met my need. You saw a need, you met a need. And yet Paul's going, hey, picture him in jail, receiving this money from a guy named Epaphroditus, who's from Philippi. Epaphroditus is mentioned in chapter two, and he's mentioned in chapter four. And yet Paul's receiving this money. He is grateful for the money, but he is saying, hey, I want you all to know, let's be clear. I'm content before the money came, and I'm going to be content after the money came, because my contentment is not dependent upon my circumstance. Because for Paul, whether they acknowledged him or not, whether they thanked or affirmed him, he would be content which is so different than our culture today. And even how I lived when I sold timeshare. And honestly, even how I think sometimes, if I'm not careful, that my contentment is dependent upon my circumstance. I just listened to how Webster defines contentment. Contentment is the feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. So it's, you know, we live around people and it's easy to live in a way that contentment is dependent on our circumstance. I mean, I saw this in real life. Like I was getting a haircut a few months ago um, and this guy, super cool guy, we always have good conversations. He knows that I'm a youth pastor and he knew that I was about to teach on contentment. And I asked him what he thought about contentment. And he told me that he believed that it was, uh, I talked about like enlightenment and looking within yourself. And no offense to him, but that's, Like that's not what Paul has in mind when he talks about contentment. Contentment is not looking into yourself, but looking outside of yourself to Christ, right? And that's where Paul focuses on in verse 13. So we'll come back to verse 12, but look at verse 13. This famous verse. Like if I I put it away, y'all could probably quote it. I won't ask you, I won't put you on the spot, but you'd probably know it. Paul says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4.13. You can put it in the category of John 3.16, one of the famous verses in the Bible. Tim Tebow loved this verse. I'm, I'm sure he still does. It's a great verse. And it's a very popular verse among athletes. But when Paul says, I can do all things, he's saying, Christ is my sufficiency. And it's easy as athletes, I've used this verse before, but sometimes I think People misquote this verse. I think they have great intentions, but often are just maybe slightly uninformed of the context. I know as a soccer player in high school, I use this verse all the time, probably out of its context. Like when Paul says, I can do all things, it's easy to focus on the I. But what Paul is saying here is he, the contentment is believing that in all things, Christ is enough. And that's the second truth that we see here. So the first truth, contentment is not dependent on my circumstance. That's what, it, that's what it's not, but what contentment is, is believing that in all things, Christ is enough. And so again, sometimes I think it's easy to read this verse and go, I can do anything or I can do everything. Like if I, I don't work out a whole lot, at least I don't lift weights a lot. But if I were to go into the gym where you work out at and I were to get behind the bench and there's 300 pounds on that, that, that bench or whatever, and I had no one to spot me, and then you watched me try to get over there and try to bench that just once, hopefully you would come over and spot me. And then even more than that, hopefully you would be like, buddy, just try to get the bar. Like, I don't even lift weights that much. Like 300 pounds, that's a lot. I asked a student the other day in our high school ministry, I was like, what do you think I could bench? And she's like, 170. And I don't even think I could get that. Like, I'm not a very strong guy. And so Philippians 4.13 is a phenomenal, life-changing promise, but it doesn't mean for me, for me personally that I'm going to be able to lift that much weight, much weight. Nor does it mean that I'm going to be able to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot rim. That was my life dream, but I don't think it's going to happen. Nor does it mean that me 
personally that I'm going to be able to run a five-minute mile, though we have students in our ministry that can do that. Nor does it mean that I'm going to be able to fly to Pebble Beach and shoot 65. I wish, but I just don't think that's going to happen for me personally. So are you with me? That sometimes we take this verse and we slightly, we, we make it more about us than about Christ. But when Paul says this is so big, that when he says, I can do all things, he's, it's not so much what he can do, but it's more about what's already been done to him Amen. and is being done. And he's focusing on the source that Christ is the one who strengthens him. And that we know that in every, like when we come to the Bible, every text has a context. And Paul is writing this from jail and he's talking about contentment. That whether he has money or he doesn't, whether he has food or he doesn't, in all things, in those, in those situations. And, and Paul's essentially saying this, whatever situation I'm in, I know the Lord will come through. I know he will strengthen me. I know he will. Like Paul knew the Old Testament well. He knew the scriptures. Like I also think about like Colossians 1, where Paul talks about his gospel ministry and how just had to have been a great responsibility of making Christ known and preaching the gospel and building and establishing churches. But like in Colossians 1, Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says these words. He says, for this I toil, for this I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So it wasn't his own energy, but it was Christ. And so Paul is focusing on himself. That Paul had such, like, whatever the situation Paul faced, he had such a big perspective. He knew the Old Testament scriptures well. That God was a promise maker, never breaker. That what God said, he would do it. And so, so Paul would come to God's word and go, I believe, I trust that what God says, he'll do it, that he will strengthen me regardless of the situation. Like, Paul knew that God promised Abraham that his people would grow into a great people. And the time of Exodus, they did. God also, or, or Paul also knew that God made a promise that the, the Israelites would be given a land. And in the book of Joshua, those Israelites are given a land. But then also another promise that God fulfills is he grows those people into a great nation. But then most of all, one of the biggest promises that God fulfills is the blessing, the Messiah who comes through the nation of Israel, Jesus. And so you see that throughout the Old Testament, a big view of God, like God has always been working on his plan that God keeps his promises. And so Jesus comes on the scene. This is so big. And Jesus in John 14, before he goes to the cross, he's, he looks at the disciples and he says to them, he says, hey guys, it's to your benefit that I'm going away. And they're like, what? And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And my father's house in many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to take you to be with me. And then he goes on, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, it's to my, your benefit that I'm going away because the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna fill you. He's gonna guide you in all truth. And then the book of Acts, that happened. God is a promise maker, never breaker. What God says he does. And you see that through the Old Testament, right? And then so the, 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 in, the, in the book of Acts, the disciples are filled with the Spirit. They make Christ known. And then in Galatians, Paul would write, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives where? In me. And Paul was confident of that. So just for me personally, like I always want to relate the scriptures to my own life. Like when I come to the scriptures and I see that from Genesis all the way through that God keeps his word, that I can come to a verse like Philippians 4.13, regardless of my circumstance, and I can say, God, I may feel weak here. I may be struggling, but I can take you at your word, regardless of the situation. Now, I know we at CFC, we believe this. Like we believe this second truth that in all things, Christ is enough. But sometimes it's easy to go, like when life gets busy and when you have kids and you're not sleeping well at night and just you move and, and life just gets busy and it gets hectic. It's easy to think, yeah, I need Christ, but I also need other things like the approval of people. And I don't know about you, but it's just so easy to think, I know I, know I need Christ. I know he's enough, but I also need other things as well. Can you relate to that? So if I were to ask you, like, what do you think you need in order to be content? What would you say? Is it a relationship? Is it a certain status? Is it a new job? You've been in Jacksonville for a while and you just want to get out of Jacksonville. And once you, once you move out of Jacksonville, you're going to be more content. Is that, what, is that maybe what you think? Like, I need my circumstance to change in order to be content. 
I know for me, I thought if only I could get more words of approval, then I would be content. So I was uh, 21 years old working construction and my boss would affirm me. Like I was working uh, at this job site and he was a super cool boss. Sometimes he would affirm me and I felt good about myself. But when he didn't, I was like, what, am I not doing a good job? Is it not enough for you? And I really believed as a young believer that in order to be content, that guy had to affirm me. I needed that. But I can be content even without words of affirmation. And that's what I learned there in that time. So what would it be for you? Like, what do you think you need in order to be content? It's so easy to, to complain and to think, I need this. But like Paul in Philippians 2, he says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. That I can't be content and complain at the same time. And it's so easy to think that if only my circumstance changed, if only people speak well of me, if only people would notice me more, if only people would invite me more to things, then I would be content. I know like another example was the middle of my senior year when I was at CIU up in South Carolina um, at, at that Bible college, two of my closest friends were getting engaged. So I thought, well, I guess I should be getting engaged. I had been dating um, Allison, who, my now wife, at that time for about a year and a half. And so I finally mustered up the courage to have that marriage conversation. So I drove five hours to Atlanta where she was living at, at that time. She was a year ahead of me in school. She had already graduated. So I think through like how I was gonna have that conversation. And eventually I bring up the marriage conversation. I don't know how I did it, but I do remember this from, what, from her perspective, it was really awkward. I don't know what my transition was. I don't know, I don't know how you go from dinner to be like, hey, so like, you wanna get married? It probably was pretty bad. And I know it didn't go well, and well, here's how I know it didn't go well, is because when I tried to talk marriage with her, she, her first words out of her mouth was she looked at me and she said, I think I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> and then eventually you can kinda, you know where the story goes. We broke up about a month later. And so when my two closest friends, um, their girlfriends, their fiancés are sending out their uh, wedding invites. I wasn't getting a chance to celebrate with that. I mean, I could celebrate with them, but you know what I mean? It's hard to like rejoice with those who are rejoicing sometimes. And I was struggling. And like, I remember one time a girl who apparently didn't know that Alice and I had broken up. She came to me one time and she's like, hey, when are you guys getting engaged? I was like, ah, it's like a reminder of just the very thing I wanted to have happen wasn't happening. And I was discontent. In order to be content, I needed, I needed her to say yes. And she said no. And everybody knew it. But you know what? You can be content when other people are getting engaged and you're not. You can be content when you get rejected and you get that big old no. You can. Amen. So let me just pause for a second. Do you believe that though? Yes. I'm just wondering if there's maybe people in the room that you're listening to me, but you're going, yeah, I just don't think that's true. And at this moment, would you allow the spirit of God to drive truth into your heart? He really is enough. He is enough. Like he, he satisfies us. And I think we want to take this truth and then apply it to any situation that we face as Paul did. So if you look here, like in verse 12, he says a situation that he was in, Paul knew truth and then he applies it in everyday life. He talks about how, how to be brought low how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul basically says this, the third truth. He knew, he knew that Christ was enough in all things, but then he had to learn and apply that. So write this down. He says that contentment is learned. And then he says it's, it's learned in different types of situations. He says, I was brought low. I faced um, hunger. There was times I didn't have food, I was in need. And so Paul says, I learned contentment in adversity when things were hard. He, he, he knew, he believed that Christ is enough. And it's in those moments of adversity, he gets the opportunity to apply or to practice truth that he knew. Perfect example of this, y'all, is Acts 16 when he's in jail. He's singing and he's praying. He's practicing what he knew to be true. He, what he would later write 10 years later that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's singing like his heart is filled with joy. I don't know what his emotions were like, but he really believed like he was singing to him. And he's like, man, I know that Christ is enough. So he's singing, he's praying in adversity. You know what I think just very practically here, when you're in adversity, how do you practice contentment? I think by singing and by praying. 
even if you don't like to sing. I, I don't sing well, but I do like to sing. And I, sometimes I sing as I do dishes. Sometimes I, I can't, like I'm not in the mood to sing, but I'll listen to songs. And by the way, if you're gonna listen to music, whether you're in the car, I think there's a lot of songs out there that are very encouraging, but just make sure they're gospel-centered. You know, before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, Christ was wounded for me. Gone are my transgressions and now I am free because Jesus was wounded for me. And not only was he wounded, but he, was, he, he rose. Risen for me, risen for me. Up from the grave, he has risen for me. Now evermore free from death, sing I am free because Jesus has risen for me. Amen. And you sing those songs and you, you allow the Lord to like minister to your heart at that moment. So how do I practice contentment? Sing, listen to music. Also, I think by praying. Because it's so easy in adversity to go, I don't want to pray or I can't pray. But man, you can get on your knees and, and it's in as you pray and the Lord like comes and comforts you. And sometimes we think, it's like, well, what is God going to get me? Like, I, why do I pray? He already knows things are hard. But it's in those moments we pray because we're reminded that prayer is not so much about getting something, but being with someone. Prayer is about a relationship. And I come to him and I want to rise early to meet with him whom my soul loveth. I want to meet with him and I meet with him on my knees. And he reminds me that he's more than enough. You know, a quote by this guy, Vance Havner, so good. He says, prayer may not get us what we want, but it will teach us to want what we need. So how do we practice contentment? Singing, praying, also giving thanks when things are hard. I watched a professor at a school that I went to um, about a year and a half ago up in a Baptist school up in North Carolina. And this professor had um, like Greek scholar, knew the Bible well, but really loved the Lord. Just such a godly man, encouragement to me. And he's teaching us the New Testament. He finally gets to the book of Philippians, to these verses that we're looking at. And he starts talking about how a hard time that he went through and his son had taken um, his life. And his, his son had, had passed away, I guess, at the age of maybe 18 or 19. And yet he shares that with us. I remember him sitting in the class in the front row and he's just crying, like right in the middle of his lesson. And yet he said this, God's grace is greater still. I can have contentment through my union with Christ who continually strengthens me and, and then he says, things will happen to us that are beyond our control. And when they do, like even then, Christ is enough. And so we learn contentment in adversity, but I also think we learn contentment as Paul did in prosperity. Because he talks about being in situations where facing abundance and plenty. So we face contentment in, or we learn contentment in adversity. We apply this truth, but also in moments of prosperity. You know, like when I think about the life of Paul, I don't know how familiar you are with, with, with his life, but it is, it's easy to think of Acts as this guy only suffered. But no, I mean, there were moments where he was well-received by people on his missionary journeys. There were moments like in Acts 28, the very end, after he's shipwrecked and he's on the island of Malta, that he heals a guy and then the chief of that island welcomes, welcomes him in and he's treated as an honored guest. So, I mean, there's moments where this guy really was well-fed and was well-received. What's so significant, what I love about Paul is that whether he's sitting in jail after being beaten or he's sitting at the table of a successful person, regardless of the situation for Paul, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. So we practice contentment and adversity and prosperity, but also I think just everyday life, whatever situation you're in. So for Allison and I, when we lived in Eden, North Carolina, which is where we, where we moved before coming here, um, we were living in a town that was once prosperous, but just was just kind of struggling with poverty because a lot of the mills had been shut down. There weren't a lot of jobs. So I had a job teaching, but Allison didn't have uh, a job. It just took a little while for, uh, for us to find something for her. And it was, it was hard. Um, and what even I think made it more challenging was that our friends were buying houses, but we weren't like we were renting and we really, really wanted to own a house. Our friends were buying new cars, but, but we weren't. Like I had a Ford Explorer that was so beat up. I was like ashamed to pull it into the school parking lot. And here's why, because my driver's side door didn't open up. It looked ridiculous. I can't believe I did this, y'all. I would have to drive over, I'm just drive, 
climb over to the passenger side and then get out. And then when the kids are getting into the bus at the end of the day, I'm getting into my car. You can picture the scene. It was ridiculous. And I was often like ashamed by that. I didn't have a nice car. And it was so easy for me to fall. In. I see some of y'all laughing back there. All right. It was uh, easy for me to fall into comparison, like to look at what other people had. And, but as, w- as we all know, comparison leads to a lack of contentment. And we don't practice contentment by comparing ourselves. And I learned this from somebody that if you compare yourself, you'll, you'll never know who you are, just who you aren't. Comparison's the thief of joy. And it's so easy to compare our real life to the filtered life of others, like on social media, to look at what's going on. I I know what's going on in my real life. And I see a picture on social media and I don't know what's happened before that person's picture or after that picture. But I assume like, wow, their life must be perfect. But it's a filtered life. I mean, I, I don't... I don't know all that's going on in their life, nor do they know everything that's going on in my life. It's so easy to fall into that trap of comparison, but we got to fight that because we don't learn or practice contentment by comparing ourselves. But I'm so grateful for how the Lord worked because in our five years in Eden, yeah, we were in a place that was hard at times, but it was there that the Lord taught us that our contentment is not in a place, but in a person in Christ. And it was there that we, as we looked forward, we, we didn't know that we were coming to Jacksonville. We were excited when we knew we would. Man, so excited. But it was in that season, we're like, man, Lord, wherever you put us, we can be content. Wherever. And you know, there was truths that we learned there that have really shaped how we live here with our two little girls in Jacksonville. So grateful for that season. And the Lord is so, so good. So like, as I think back and like I, my wife and I really believe that, that Christ is enough and that you can't be content whether you're renting a house or you own, <laughs> whether you have a nice car or you don't, whether you like your job or you don't, whether you, uh, you can be content whether people affirm you or not, whether you're dating or, or you're not dating, whether you're married or you're not married. And let me be sensitive with this one. I know that I have kids, but you can be content whether you have kids or not. The Lord is enough. We really believe that at Christian Family Chapel, that he is sufficient, that he satisfies. And I think as we come to believe that he's enough and then practice that in adversity and prosperity, there's a great outcome to to, to contentment. Because we know for Paul, as he learned contentment, the outcome was great. Eventually, he gets to have this sweet, like, gospel opportunity with this jailer. Check it out. All right, so he's in jail, and then a jailer asks Paul this question. So there's an earthquake, and the doors are open. This jailer's, this jailer's about to grab a knife, and he's about to turn, like, hurt himself, kill himself. And then Paul says, don't harm yourself. And then the jailer looks at Paul and says, sir, what must I do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? And then Paul says, you just need to try harder, buddy. No, that's not what he says. No, you just do more, buddy. No, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus. And he believes in the Lord Jesus and he is saved. And that's just incredible, right? Do you see this? And that is Paul learned contentment. God got the glory. Paul got the joy. And a jailer who was once a not an unbeliever comes to believe in, in the gospel. And I think that it's, as we apply this to us, as we learn contentment, God gets the glory, we get the joy, and unbelievers get the opportunity to hear and then believe in the gospel. I mean, contentment is evangelistic. It provides a great platform for the gospel. And let's practice this at your work, where you work out at, in your neighborhood, but also in the place where sometimes it's hard, at home. And you know, in Paul, like in Philippians 4 verse 9, he talks about what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, Paul knew that those believers in Philippi would practice what they saw in Paul. And Paul knew that he was a model to these believers. And just like personally, I've just thought about my own uh, two little girls, Lydia and Chloe. They're going to practice what they see in me. And I want them to look at their daddy and go, I know my daddy loves me, but my daddy is content in Jesus. I want to model the content life. I want to excel in contentment. I don't want my girls to go, man, my dad's a real complainer. Because you know what? Here's what's challenging, y'all. My girls are watching how I respond to any and every circumstance. And I want to model that Christ is enough. He really is. And so parents, just think about that. What are you modeling at your 
home. What, what you talk about at the dinner table, they're listening. Like it's crazy. Lydia is three years old and she'll repeat stuff that I said. They are good words. I mean, it, she, but she's listening. She's listening and your kids are watching and they're watching how you respond to hard circumstances. You know, think about this. Paul, Paul writes these believers 10 years after that event and he's so thankful for them. He's so thankful for them and his, his contentment really impacted. And I want our contentment to impact others. You know, I love the quote of Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott was a missionary and he died at the age of uh, about 30 when he was in Ecuador. And Jim Elliott said that his prayer for himself was that he wanted his life to be an exhibit or a display to the value of knowing and trusting in Jesus. That was his prayer. And I want that to be my prayer and your prayer that your life would be an exhibit to the split, to the, to, to the, your life would be essentially would display, man, this is what it looks like to know and trust in Jesus. And you think about, that's a great prayer for our mission teams that have also gone out. Like we had a mission team uh, that left for Israel Friday. The Philippines left yesterday. We have a team that will leave for Albania this upcoming week. And let's pray, pray that for them, that their life really would be an exhibit to the value of knowing and trusting Jesus. And as they go and proclaim the gospel all over the world, they're not proclaiming that their contentment is in living in the USA, though it's great to live here. But they're simply proclaiming that their contentment is in Christ and he's more than enough. And so what I want to do now is I want to turn just to have us reflect for a moment. As we take the Lord's Supper, the men are going to come around and pass out the elements. Which are a physical reminder of what Christ has done for us. If you're not familiar with this, um, the, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And then the cup represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for many. So these are going to be passed out. Matt's going to lead us through this time in, in just a second. But what I want to do is invite you now, just for 10 or 15 seconds, just to pause and kind of examine yourself before you, you, you take the Lord's Supper. of Just simply thinking through this question. Is it Jesus plus something else? Like, do you need Christ and something else in order to be content? Or is Christ enough for you? Has there become something that's more important? Maybe turn now and use this as a time of confession. Maybe ask the Lord, will you make me more content in you? Go and pray now uh, quietly at your seat. or what your morning's been like so far. Um, but just think about it. Like here in third hour, before you leave, before you go out to lunch into your afternoon, you have the opportunity as Matt leads us, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together in just a second. But you also have a moment as you just sit there and reflect to practice contentment by singing. And maybe you're like, I don't know the song or I don't know that I wanna sing. Be encouraged as you hear the body, as you hear other believers sing from their heart that Christ is enough.
you read this passage from Psalms out loud together. Psalm 73, let's read. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So all in all, Christ, my all in all, the joy of my salvation, and this hope will never fail. Heaven is our home. Through every storm, through every storm, my soul. confidence in that promise and that he is a promise keeper with thankfulness for that promise let's take together
you know, if you've sat here and <clears throat> you've heard me say again and again that Christ is enough and that you can have joy in Jesus despite your circumstance, and see if you've sat there and you go, I, man, I want to know more about that. I, I want to know how I can have joy in Jesus regardless of my circumstance. I would simply say, look away from yourself and look to Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But I really do believe that to be true, that um, man, God gave Jesus uh, for you. He loves you. He died for you. He lived the life that you should have lived, but you couldn't. He died the death that you deserve to die. And he went to the cross and he defeated sin and death, right? And then he arose on the third day and then he ascended into heaven. And we give him all the glory because he is more than enough. He satisfies all our longings. And so if you, you know, maybe you weren't coming this morning, but you decided to come, man, we see that as God ordained a moment or appointment. And we want to simply encourage you uh, here at CFC to look away from yourself and to look to Christ because in him is salvation and in him, there is a fullness of joy and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We really believe that. Um, for the rest of us, you're like, man, I, I have been encouraged, man. Uh, maybe you simply need to go to the Lord this, morning, or this, this afternoon and say, Lord, I believe that you're enough. Maybe that's your response this morning. This is simply go to the Lord in a moment this afternoon and say, I believe that you're enough. Teach me that, remind me of that. Um, let's be encouraged now as we leave with truth and for our benediction. If you guys could put that up, thank you. So let me say the first part, believing this to be true. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's say the next. Faithful, Faithful is he who calls us. He also uh, man, to God be the glory, great things he has done and is doing here. Um, I hope you guys have a great afternoon. We love y'all.